I spent all morning thinking of subjects to talk about for this episode and quickly forgetting those subjects. I didn't write a single thing down. So I'm going to try to hit everything that I thought about that I remember now, but maybe I'm remembering the wrong things. Maybe I'm remembering. Maybe I'm remembering, maybe I'm remembering new things. Things that I didn't think. Anyway, welcome to another episode of Sound Digressions. My name is Samuel. I will be your host for this uh, installment of The Sound of Doom. So there's the podcast, Sound Digressions. When I'm here on my own, without my partner, Monique, my podcast host, partner, uh, we call this episode The Sound of Doom, because that's what's going through my head. Just sounds of doom. The last couple of episodes have been a bit of a mystery because the penultimate one did great um, in terms of like downloads. It was downloaded over twice as many times as anything we've released before. And and in, in the last couple of months anyway. Our first episode was a huge hit, but I feel like that's just like the initial curiosity uh, that people had, that our friends had. It's like, what are these people doing? And then they realize, oh, they're just a couple of friends chatting about whatever comes to their mind most of the time. Sometimes, sometimes they have a subject. Sometimes they don't. Uh, all right, I've had enough. Um, but now we have like a loyal fan base of five listeners. So, and, well, so we had that episode with the tons of downloads and the, and I suspected right away, and I mentioned this in the, in the following podcast, the last one that we did, last one relative to the one I'm doing right now. I suspected right away that he had, that, that it was a glitch in the system. That the only reason we got so many downloads was some sort of like bot network got a hold of the podcast and downloaded it, um, made it popular beyond what uh, seemed reasonable. But the, there was one thing that, that that was one thing that was unique about that ep- episode is that I talked almost uniquely about COVID nineteen. And I thought, well, maybe the glitch is related to the fact that we did an episode on COVID. But I still had this sneaky suspicion that it had more to do with like some sort of glitch. So I did a subsequent episode about COVID. And that one totally tanked. So, well, tanked, maybe it's a little bit strong of a word. I mean, like, tanked in comparison to the first COVID episode tanked in comparison to our episode on Paris Hilton. Um, But I guess hit about average numbers uh, relative to like the majority of our other episodes. I follow other podcasters on Twitter and one of them who hosts two different podcasts, which I really like, um, uh, Tyler Mahan Co. 
He hosts Cocaine and Rhinestones, which is about the history of country music. And he also hosts uh, a podcast called Your Favorite Band Sucks, which in which he trashes popular bands. And one thing he said about like all that tracking software is that it's really unreliable. So, uh, and he, I guess he's tried multiple different to publish on multiple platforms. Uh, he's had different uh, podcast hosts. Well, he's had this, he's two different podcasts. So I, I just guess that he knows something. He's rather popular. So for this episode, I wanted to do something. Well, I wanted to not do a full episode on COVID again. Uh, because we're not a COVID podcast. Uh, we're more of like a random thoughts podcast. And, but I, I can't help it. I keep, I, I keep reading about COVID all the time. So maybe I'll say a couple of things in a minute, but we won't devote the whole episode to it. Not this time around. Um, I've been reading Dune. You know, I saw a couple of ads on Twitter for the movie that's coming out. I think it's in October. In some few, a couple of months away. And I thought, yeah, I should. Uh, I feel like the first time I really heard about Dune was from the Jodorowsky documentary. Uh, whose name I have forgotten. Anyway, um, and then, you know, it's, they presented the book that he, that, that was created by the production team around that, you know, the book about a production that never took place. Uh, Jotorowski never filmed Dune, any version of it. And, Anyway, it just seemed... I, I had no idea what it was. I mean, like, the movie doesn't really present you with, like, what Dune is about or anything. And then many years later, now, 2021, I ran into these ads. I hear people, you know, twitting about Dune. So I decide, hey, I'm going to check it out. I'm going to borrow the li- borrow the book from the public library and read some of it on my phone. My... Uh, capacity to concentrate is extremely, extremely diminished at this point. And I can only really focus if something is happening on my phone. So if I want to read a book now, I have to download it onto my phone. You can borrow it. You can use the, I don't know if there's more than one app. I use one particular app to download books from the public library to borrow it. You know, it lends it to you for three weeks and it's, there on your phone for three weeks and you read it or you don't read it and then it like disappears from your phone because the public library wants it back. So I downloaded Dune and I started reading it and and oh my god it is so badly written. I had I was taking I found myself taking screenshots of the book and sending them to my brother highlighting passages where it was just like really ridiculous how ham-handed the storytelling was. The last science fiction novels that I paid a lot of attention to were both by Ursula Le Guin. Uh, I read The Left Hand of Darkness and The Dispossessed. 
And those books are really well written. She is not your average science fiction writer, I guess. I feel like I don't want to disparage science fiction writers, but if one of your classics is Dune, which is this ham-handed narrative, uh, it's almost like a soap opera, the way it's hyperbolic and intense at every minute. One of the first chapters that I highlighted for my brother, or one of the first pages that I screen captured and complained about, uh, it was something very simple. It was like the bad guy, I think his name is Hakonen, uh, Baron, whatever, 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 Hakonen. Um, you know, instead of, and, and this bothered me because it, the narrative, uh, the, the narrator is an omniscient narrator. So they know everything about this world. They're telling us about it as though they have a bird's eye view of it. And yet still with this all-powerful narrator, the author finds it necessary for the character to introduce themselves by their full name. So, you know, like one of the first scenes where he appears, instead of anyone else telling us this is Baron von Blam 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 Hakkonen, uh, or is it Harkonnen? Anyway, instead of that happening, the character themselves says something like, I am so evil, blah, 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 Harkonnen. It's just, it's annoying. As a literary device, having a character say their full name is annoying and dumb. It's comedic because only comic book villains will refer themselves to themselves in the third person in such a fashion. And anyway, I'm still reading Dune. I haven't put it down. I'm still I'm a few more chapters in. They've actually uh, reached the planet, the Coldoon uh, Arrakis, uh, which sounds a lot like Iraq. Iraqis, Arrakis, it's a sand planet. I don't know. I'm making stuff up now. Anyway, Dune. It's a great read. You should check it out. Can't wait for the movie to come out. I'm just kidding. But I'm thinking of maybe watching the David Lynch film. A lot of people have said it was terrible. Uh, What's-his-face, Jozorowski, said it was terrible. And... I don't know. I guess I have interest sometimes in watching terrible movies. Sometimes I don't. And I, my interest in watching this particular terrible movie, it's starting to grow. I don't even know if it's terrible. I just have heard that it is. I feel like everyone else, I have been wrong about a few things around COVID. I've been right about others. But that's just by luck. I'm guessing at this point it's luck. I'm not a virologist. I'm not a doctor or a scientist. It's just that I happen to listen to 
a person who is knowledgeable about the subject who happened to be right as well. Uh, and I decided to parrot or to absorb their particular knowledge or guess or educated guess, however you want to put it. Um, so when the first, when the vaccine uh, rollout started in Quebec and in many parts of Canada, I went this way too. The government quickly decided to, um, instead of following the guidelines by uh, the two companies, the two companies supplying the majority of the vaccines, BioNTech, Pfizer, and Moderna, uh, instead of following their guidelines of distributing the vaccines at three or four week intervals, I can't remember which one was which, um, which one was specific to which vaccine, the Quebec government and many other provincial governments in Canada decided to spread them out farther to initially it was supposed to be 16 weeks, eventually ended up for me at least and for many other people, uh, an eight week gap instead of like a three or four week gap between vaccines. And some preliminary research shows that that might've been a good idea or you know that that might actually provide more protection uh, in the long run, or, you know, more sustained, high protection uh, over a longer period of time than had they followed the guidelines from the company originally. So there's one thing that I, I may have gotten wrong. I, and it, seem, it seems I, I should, like, not be saying this stuff without citing properly where I've read it, but I really can't remember where I've read it, where I, I read that... Um, I think they were making a comparison between like the UK and Israel because Israel followed the guidelines quite carefully, whereas the UK did what Canada did, which is just fudge uh, the guidelines to fit the shipping schedule instead of the proposed vaccine schedule. So, so yeah, that's just to say I've gotten some things wrong. And, you know, I, 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 I knew at the time that it was an experiment. I uh, I suspected that it might backfire, but it just turned out the other way, that it actually may have been favorable, which is good. One thing that I did uh, not follow the government on was in believing quite early on that masks were necessary. And... I feel like that hurt the credibility of many governments around the world quite early on. The fact that they kept saying that masks were even potentially harmful. Uh, and for that, for all that talk about the harmfulness of masks to be eventually followed by mask mandates really hurt the credibility of governments. And it made it worse later on when they when some of them revealed that the only reason they had not proposed mass mandates earlier was to save uh, the available mass supply for healthcare workers and other uh, health related fields. So instead of telling us the truth, that masks would be helpful, they told us what might have been 
considered a white lie. You know, that masks were bad. They told us this for the sake of saving masks for healthcare workers, which is really messed up because I feel like the least you trust your public, uh, the least trust you'll receive in return. Now, we've seen that a couple of provinces, notably Alberta and British Columbia, rescinded their, their mass mandates for a while. I'm not sure exactly when it happened. I wasn't paying attention to that. But within the last week, uh, BC at least has reinstated mass mandates uh, in the Okanagan region because cases are rising so quickly. I feel like we were told the wrong story about vaccines. I I feel like at this point the information we're getting is so pol- politicized and polarizing that I'm not even sure what immunity means anymore. I feel like I heard from various people right from the start that vaccines, the primary role of vaccines was to prevent bad outcomes. So to, you know, prevent hospitalizations, prevent deaths, prevent serious, serious illness. And on that count, the vaccines are doing pretty well. What wasn't clear, or what I thought was more of like a wait and see sort of thing, was whether the vaccines kept you from getting ill or, you know, being getting infected with COVID-19. And it turns out that if you're vac- fully vaccinated, you can still get infected and you can still transmit it. In fact, there's been some recent clusters in the United States and other parts of the world where the majority of the people in the cluster are fully vaccinated. The number of people who have received, uh, who have been fully vaccinated and have had need to be hospitalized or needed or, 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 or suffered a worse outcome have died is really, really tiny. Thus, the vaccines have done that original job that many people thought they would, which is to reduce bad outcomes. People who have been fully vaccinated are less likely to die, less likely to be hospitalized by a huge margin than those that have not received any vaccines. But somebody who has been fully vaccinated can still be a vector for the disease. They can pass it on to somebody else. Uh, They can receive it. They can generate virus, you know, um, and pass it on to somebody else. And I was looking at some graphs posted by a doctor, an American doctor named Eric Daigle-Ding. And I think he got the graphs from like... Oh, I can't remember now. Anyway, I'll post a link to his Twitter thread in the show notes. That one I do remember, and I did mark it down, so I, I remember these things. 
And the graph shows that the viral load produced by people who have been vaccinated, uh, at least during the initial states of infection, is very similar to the viral load produced by people who have not received a vaccine. So they're kind of equal for the first six days. After that, a person who has received the vaccine, the viral load drops uh, much, much quicker than the viral load for a person who has not been vaccinated. So, yeah, there you go. Vaccines doing their work, preventing bad outcomes by allowing your immune system, by, like, you know, triggering your immune system to um, be more effective at fighting off the reproduction of the virus inside you. What that points to, uh, and I feel like this is one of the things that made me angry about getting a vaccine. Uh, I wasn't angry at the vaccines themselves. I wasn't angry at, not even angry at the, the pharma companies, like exploiting the moment to make enormous profits. I was upset because I felt, rightly it seems, that many governments, our own included, would take the vaccines as an as a as a measure that absolved them from all the other non-pharmaceutical interventions like wearing masks, like social distancing, um, would have solved them from having to do anything else. If they got everybody vaccinated, they would, they, they, everybody could return to work and you could remove your masks, you could remove your hand sanitizing stations, which actually, yeah, I understand the hand sanitizing stations are not doing all that much because COVID is transmitted by aerosols, not by... Um, what do you call it? What's the name for it? Anyway, you're not going to catch uh, COVID from surfaces. But yeah, all these governments were going to, you know, think that they could reopen the the workforce, to send everybody back to work, because now they had been so successful at distributing the vaccine, as though that vaccine was uh, the end of the pandemic. So yeah, getting a vaccine felt to me like I was... I, I want to get the vaccine. Uh, what I had read about the vaccines made me confident. Or at least, you know, I, I didn't feel like I had any reason to doubt their efficacy. Um, honestly, I really wanted to get uh, Sputnik V, which seems to be like a really good vaccine, the, the Russian-made one. Uh, or if not... I would have been delighted to receive uh, Soberana Plus, I think, um, which is the one of the Cuban-made vaccines. Uh, what's the other one called? Uh, anyway, it'll come to me later in the episode when I'm talking about something completely different. Uh, Albala? Is it, is it called Albala? Um, anyway, which is a three-shot vaccine. The Soberana is two, Sputnik is two. Sputnik, actually, what, what was interesting about it is that it was actually, uh, and none of these are mRNA vaccines, not what, like, Pfizer and Moderna um, have developed. Uh, they were relying on more traditional 
vaccine methods, vaccine development methods. Uh, what was interesting about Sputnik V is that you got actually uh, vaccine one and vaccine two were different. So the booster was not was not exactly the same as the as the first shot. No, and uh, now some research is emerging. Again, I don't have a citation for this. I'm just like the stuff I read on Twitter, and then I forget, uh, and then I talk about it on the podcast without notes, which is terrible. Uh, but it seems like some research is emerging that you know mixing vaccines is uh, provides uh, more resistance. You know that your immune system likes. The variety. Uh, don't quote me on that. I feel like because the United States is having a resurgence of cases, like a surge in cases, sooner than we are here in Canada, the polarized, the the politics haven't gotten quite as murky here yet. I'm sure once François Legault starts, starts talking on the daily because our cases are surging, and Horatio Arruda starts talking on the daily because cases are surging, we will start getting mixed messages again uh, or incoherent storylines about like what vaccines were supposed to do or what they're not supposed to do. Uh, the fear has been all the time and I feel I feel it still is that we're opening everything too early. I actually went to I won't say where precisely. I went to an event. It was outdoors and in a not quite confined space. It was a windy day. And nobody was wearing a mask except me and the other per and the person I was there with. And it felt weird that and I don't know. Vaccination rates are pretty high here. I assume you know, I think it's safe to assume that almost everyone there had been vaccinated to some extent, whether fully or partially. Uh, but maybe not. I know people who are refusing to take the vaccine. And yeah, it just felt awkward. I feel like I really wanted to leave. I stayed there until whatever I was watching finished. Uh, and then I just, I, I really wanted to leave. I feel like people have the wrong idea as to what the vaccines are supposed to do. And that the failure of governments and medical officials to fully inform people as to what they're uh, actually supposed to expect from the vaccines. It's not an end game in and of itself. It is another part in the continuing uh, effort to stop the spread of the virus. If the virus continues spreading, uh, that's not good. Even if, you know, like, vaccinated people can transfer it 
between themselves. I'm sure if your whole population is vaccinated, um, because like I said just a minute ago, because a viral load diminishes, diminishes a lot quicker, you're likely to infect fewer people. Uh, the R not is going to dwindle quicker and maybe get to a point where we can reach zero infections. But at this point, when when cases are, you know, when the population is not fully vaccinated yet, when a lot of people haven't received their second dose, when we have a neighbor to the south where cases are surging uh, dramatically right now, we can't rely on vaccines as our only uh, method of combating infections. We need to maintain. And we need to maintain mask wearing indoors, uh, social distancing outdoors. Um, <sighs> what I want to talk about today. What I want to talk about today more than anything else is sports. And I guess this is another COVID-related topic at this point. What isn't? And I mean, like anything that involves mass gatherings of people will inevitably be a COVID-related topic. Uh, I've been watching the Olympics a little bit. Not a whole lot, but a little bit. I, I like watching track and field events. I watched the men's 10,000 meter final. It's a glorious event. It is, I think, one of the more difficult events in which to beat a current world record. I feel like something like the 100 meter sprint, it's a very easy one, a very easy event in which to set a new world record because the expenditure of energy is so concentrated into less than 10 seconds or just over 10 seconds um, that, you know, you're, you're giving it your all out right from the start, right to the end, unless you're Donovan Bailey. Uh, wait, Usain Bolt. I said Donovan Bailey, but he, he hasn't held the record for a long time. Using Bolt is the one that kind of like started cheering before the finish line. You're blasting out of the gate and through the finish line. There's nothing, there's no moment to rest. There's no strategy to conserve energy. There's no, there's no strategy except to go as fast as possible the whole time. You know, you got to perfect your form at every stage of the race, the beginning, the middle, and the end. Get maximum acceleration, cross that line. The 10,000 meter run is a whole other game because there's so much strategy involved. You can't, because the risk of like burning out mid-race is very real. And thus, and I first saw the strategy deployed by Mo Farah, 
a runner from the UK. I think it was in uh, 2012 in London. I, he wasn't really on my radar before then. I'm sure he was running and having like a successful career before then, but he only came to Murray Radar during the Olympics in 2012. And Mo Farah would uh, just hang at the back. That was his strategy uh, for many of the races. He would hang at the back. He would run, be running last for however many laps before, as they say, making a move and running towards the front. So... There's this game involved in the 10,000 meter run where you want to see if your opponent can exhaust themselves out before you do. There was an interesting game uh, during this Olympics. There was one runner from Uganda who really sprinted out ahead of everybody and had like a 50-meter lead for the first half of the race. But the peloton didn't budge. Nobody, you know, they saw him sprint out and it was like, everybody was like, have fun out there on your own. We're going to stick as a group. And everybody's trying to go as slow as possible to conserve as much energy as they can for the second half of the race. So, everybody has to decide at which point uh, during the second half of the race, they're going to turn it on. We saw the eventual winner from, where was the winner from? Ethiopia? Yeah. I forget his name. I forget everybody's name. I don't follow running, you know, track and field, except during this one event. So the runner from Ethiopia, who was eventually the winner, uh, with maybe three kilometers left, maybe a little bit more, he decided enough is enough that Ugandan runner has had enough time in the lead. I'm going to catch up to them and run with them and pass them. And they did. They made a the sprint towards the front. A few people followed him. And I'm talking about the men's final here. And a few, a few people followed him. But at some point he realized, it's like, wait, I'm making this move a little bit too early. So he managed to speed up the peloton. But midway through his move, he decided, you know what? I'm going to hang back some more. And he moved towards the back of the pack again. Uh, the Ugandan uh, runner, uh, who had been leading for most of the race, at some point, just like, all right, I've done my job. And he just dropped out. As though he had just been there to set the pace. You know, this was very different than the 26 um, 2016 Rio Olympics, where Kenanisa Bikele, uh just said, fuck it, I'm going to run this race as fast as possible, and just like ran his pace. He didn't run the peloton's pace. He ran his own pace the whole race and set the world record. 
Or I think he set the Olympic record, not the world record. There's a difference. Okay, I felt stupid not knowing the, the, the runners' names, so I just looked them up. So, Stephen Kisa from Uganda, he was the one who was playing the role of pace setter, who like ran out 50 meters ahead of everybody. And Salomon Barrega from Ethiopia was the one who, you know, kind of led the pack and then realized it was too soon and then fell back into the pack, into the peloton. Um, so there's this, yeah, you could see this strategy playing out. Um, everybody's trying to force their opponents, their competitors to expand their energy while conserving energy themselves for the final few laps. And it was really in that final lap that Selimon Baraga, uh, fully sprinted ahead. And, uh, I, like for a, for like a brief moment, it seemed like his teammates, Berihu Aragawi and Yomif Keyelcha were gonna run with him. And they'd be like a one, two, three, like the Jamaican women did at the 100 meter sprint. But, uh, Joshua Sheptegi and Jacob Kliplimo of Uganda, Uganda, uh, they powered through. They, it seemed like they were almost going to catch Barrega at some point, but he held them off and actually had like a quite comfortable lead as he crossed the finish line. And Sheptegi and Kiplimo, uh, finished second and third, winning the, the, um, silver and bronze medals, which were the first medals for Uganda in a 10,000 meter race. It was a very exciting race. If you have 27 minutes to spare, I, I really recommend 27 and a, 28 minutes to spare. Uh, I really recommend watching it. Um, I also watch the 5,000 meter women's final, which was just as exciting, but it's a very different race. It's not quite as, um, tactical, I guess. Uh, people are not, um, the runners are not trying to goad each other into going faster while the, while remaining slow themselves in quite the same way. You know, you're, they're not making like sprints to the back front and, or, and, and then dropping to the back, uh, quite so consistently. Um, they, they run as a peloton, uh, throughout most of the race and the top 10 actually finish within like 12 seconds of each other. And for this one, you could see for the women's 5,000 meter final, you could see that, uh, the eventual winner, Sifan Hassan, from the Netherlands, um, she just like saved her energy, right? Like, you know, she kept up with everybody. And then just on that final lap with maybe like 800 meters to go, she just like turned it on and just like whipped ahead of everybody, like far ahead of everybody. Like that's a secret. That's a secret superpower. Having like, uh, run that hard because these people are running, you know, you know, it takes a lot of energy to get that far. And then to have enough reserve energy to completely blow away your opposition in the final 800 meters is absolutely 
spectacular. Uh, maybe it wasn't 800 meters. Maybe it was like the last 400 meters. It was the last lap. She only took over during the last lap. Um, and they're running on a 400 meter track. So anyway, sports. Uh, <laughs> I've been watching a lot of sports. What else is there to do when uh, going outside with people? Um, makes you feel queasy and like I was talking with an, with someone else about this um, how everyone is being COVID safe but what it means to be COVID safe uh, is very different to each person and for me I find I've had my thirst quench from social events I don't think I want to go to another one for a while, maybe not till whenever I feel comfortable again. Um, one thing to note, of course, is that the people of Tokyo uh, protested these Olympics uh, because of COVID. They didn't want them to happen. And I sympathize with them. I feel like this event should not be happening. Uh, or that at least it should not have been forced upon the city of Tokyo by the International Olympic Committee, who are a bunch of scumbags who just want to make money uh, and bankrupt every city that happens to host these events. I'm not against the athletes. I'm against the corrupt officials that organize the whole fucking thing. I've been watching some more boxing and it's... Funny, I think like in some ways we've been spoiled lately with the sport of boxing because so many events are happening all the time now. And I've started following on a, a, a new podcast called the Tim Boxeo Podcast, uh, hosted by Tim Boxeo. That's the pseudonym he chooses to go by. And Tim uh, is a big fan of club boxing. This is boxing... At lower levels. It's not amateur boxing. It's professional boxing. You get paid for your fights. But it's for people who are either at the beginning of their career. Or people whose skill level uh, limits them from going farther uh, into the upper echelons of boxing. So sometimes it's quite crude. Sometimes it's quite uh, ridiculous. Uh, he shows you various parts uh, of the boxing landscape. Tim Boxell really... And I feel like this is why... I'm not that curious about club-level boxing. Not to the extent that he is. But I am highly fascinated and respectful of his fandom he loves it so much and the fact and i feel like we all we've all felt this way at some point or another about something that we become curious about it because we encounter someone who loves it tremendously and maybe we think it sucks maybe we think it's not that interesting uh maybe we think it's a waste of time but uh, it is always fascinating to encounter 
that uh, level of enthusiasm for something. We all love a good bit of enthusiasm. Maybe I'll post a link on the show notes to Timbox Sales podcast. Um, and and it, there's a funny thing about it. Um, as he has grown, uh, Tim has been doing uh, one-on-one interviews with boxers uh, a lot more regularly. At the beginning, it was just him talking with uh, his co-host, Angelo. Now, Angelo has another boxing podcast, uh, which talks more about like the upper tier of professional boxing. And, you know, it's more like your typical boxing podcast, which focuses on the, you know, the highest paid athletes, the highest skilled athletes, uh, the ones that are, are televised. Um, whereas Tim focuses on like lower skill athletes who are often not televised, who in the last, in this day and age, uh, can finally be seen. Most of club back, club boxing was invisible to the international public. But now with the, thanks to, thanks to YouTube and Facebook and other streaming services, it is quite easily accessible to watch fights around the world. I've watched fights from Australia, Russia, Tanzania. I never thought I would watch a fight from Tanzania. I've watched fights from South Africa, from Massachusetts, from Tijuana, Mexico. So, you know, the, the, the exposure that these events potentially have. Like sometimes you, 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 you join a stream, uh, a free live stream on YouTube and you realize, oh, wow, there's like 80 people around the world watching this. And that's it. Sometimes there's more. I think for the, for the Massachusetts one, uh, for the Boston, Boston Pro Boxing Promotions, I think that's the name of the outfit. They're fun. They're really great. Uh, they're really fun. Uh, if, you know, if you, if you want to enjoy boxing matches at a lower level, it is like definitely a top outlet to go to. Uh, they stream for free on YouTube. Don't have to pay a thing. You just like download the link and it's there. There are no commercials. The replays are terrible. The commentary is amateur, but fun. Um, really done on a volunteer basis. And uh, it's fascinating. People really love it. And the audience really loves it. I feel like, you know, you don't need to go to like a huge fight in a stadium with like 60,000 fans in order to get like a big fight feel. You can get it in a small... Uh, arena or a small theater, a small community hall, just packed and people love it. It is quite, um, I feel like this, this is the, there's, there's always a duality with sports. There's always like, uh, fascination with what the athletes, uh, are, are doing, what they can perform. But during this time of COVID, there's also kind of like a disheartening aspect of it. Uh, I watched like little bits of like the Euro Cup 
where, you know, I think during the final, they had like 66,000 fans at Wembley Stadium in London. And it's just like, what else could that be? What else could you call that? But a super spreader event for COVID. Right? So I'm watching this like little cards happening in Boston. And there's like maybe two people wearing masks. And yeah. Tons of athletes at the Olympics have gotten COVID. Maybe not tons, but enough. Plenty of boxing matches are canceled every month because somebody catches COVID. We've had a couple of like really high profile fights canceled because somebody allegedly got COVID. Anyway, I feel like I, I have 10 more days to try and finish reading Dune. I don't know if I'll finish it. If I don't finish it, I think I will certainly uh, borrow it again from the library uh, and try to, you know, make another attempt at, like, reading the whole thing. I think I've read, like... There's a funny thing about reading on your phone, too. It gives you a percentage. I've read about 14% of the book so far. It's a funny, silly book. I'm curious to see how it turns out. Anyway, thanks for listening to another episode of Sound Digressions, to another solo effort by me as the Sound of Doom. I hope uh, there's another glitch in the system and we have more listeners from Brazil and the Philippines and Chile and the Maldives and the UK and the United States of America and Bahrain. Where else did we have listeners from? Malaysia. Uh, thank you all for tuning in.